Welcome back to Compassion Revolution podcast, my friends. In this series, we're going to prepare you for the Compassion Revolution conference on the 24th and 25th of October. You can grab your ticket at CompassionRevolution.care. Our theme in 2023 is Making Work Beautiful. Join me and some of our extraordinary speakers. I'm joined today by my dear friend Shannon Weber, my ride or die friend. Shannon Weber holds a master's in social work. She is a facilitator and coach who thrives holding space for leaders, organizations, and communities in transition to imagine and create solutions. Shannon is devoted to our connections with each other and what it takes for us to really show up in the big and small ways that create meaning amidst all the change that we're going through. Her book, Show Up Hard, A Roadmap for Helpers in Crisis, is one of those books that I recommend to all my coaching clients. And I think I once ordered 110 copies so that everyone in one of my collaboratives could have a copy. So you need that book. So I'm just going to give you that website before I say hi to Shannon. Showuphard.com. Get yourself one of those books. Okay. Hello, Shannon. Hello, Mary, my friend. It's so, so good to be here with you. It's always good when we get together. We've created some really magical things over the years and like our audience might not realize, but you have been with us for every single Compassion Revolution conference. This is the fifth. You've come Mm -hmm. out to Australia for the first one, which was in person. And you're coming out for the fifth one. Oh, I just can't wait. It's going to be so good. I think we've known each other maybe now six years, and you have taught me so much about boundaries. And Mm. I was thinking, even as I was driving in to the studio this morning to record this podcast, one of the things that I have really, really learned from you is the clarity that comes with boundaries and also the spaciousness and Mm. that it creates a spaciousness for me and for the, for for other people. So this idea of bounds, so I have boundaries and containers. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of that, that you've taught me around boundaries. Tell me, uh, Shannon, how did you get to be so not only interested but so skilled and equipped around boundaries. Like what's the backstory around boundaries show up hard in you? Oh, it's such a great question. I think that the short answer is it, I, I got so skilled at it from screwing up so much <laughs> from making mistakes. Uh, the truth of it is that I have such a fascination with our connection with each other and um, this ambition or this, if I feel it, competitive is not the quite the right word, but I want you to send some energy to, around what I want to say is how big can I show up and not lose myself? Right. Like, I really do have this interest in like, what would it be like at the end of a day or a week or a life? to have spent all the love that I have. And of course, we know it's not finite. It always comes back. That's a whole nother part of what I know from boundaries, right? Is to know that it's not limited what I have. But I'm interested in not conserving right, or spending it out, but really because I understand compassion and empathy and love to be 
so generative, so able to replicate itself. And because I, I want to be in that energy, I want to just show up so big. Now, of course, when I jokingly said I learned from making so many mistakes, which is no joke, is that if you do that without an understanding of, if I do that without an understanding of where I am at the moment, what are my resources, I can one, lie to people. And I don't want to lie. I want what I'm saying to be true. Or two, I can also burn out. I burn out from overcommitment of the resources, time, or my skill set. And so then as a social worker, I have the ability to practice this at work. And as a human and someone who loves deeply, practice this out in the world and in family. And then as I began to supervise or have you know responsibilities at work in which I could see things from a different perspective, I observed other people having these same challenges. Lots and lots of folks coming to this helping profession, right? That like me, jump in the deep end without a lifeguard or overextend ourselves. And what happens? We lose good people. And I don't mean just by leaving the profession. There's health implications for this. But we also get situations where there can be compliance situations or HR issues. No one started out for it to be that either. And so then I began to think about, well, how do I learn these things? What's this muscle I've built? How could I teach this to others? The hard earned lessons that I've sorted out that I continue to sort out because it's an ever evolving practice. And this is where I developed the show up hard framework, which is the thinking about, again, how big is it that I can show up in this moment or this day, but also how I'm going to do it for the long haul. And a piece of that being then, how do I think about my boundaries? If that's really illuminating, Shannon, because often when I talk to people about boundaries, and tell me, I imagine you hear this as well, that people think that boundaries are constrictive, that boundaries like reduce the amount of space. But the thing that you've taught me is boundaries actually create a spaciousness and they create mm-hmm. a possibility, like you said, that you can show up really big and love really hard and be fully uh, a present. Help me and, the, and others understand what, what's the magic of that? How does that work? You know, I think one piece of it is coming to that knowledge or understanding that what we have to give and our capacity, it, it can be gener- regenerate itself and it's not finite. Yes, in the moment, it's finite. Like I only have however much time there is in this day and however much voice I have and however much energy to have this podcast with you. I'm also getting so much from you right now, Mary. And that's what it means to be in relationships. So I know it's generative. I can come back to it. So if we think about boundaries as restrictive, it can come from that place is that there's not enough. And if I'm in a, a any sort of one-on-one relationship, I want to think about the understanding that there's more. But I also, in a work setting, don't want to be setting up things from this restrictive place. This is where we lose folks that we're trying to serve because we have created systems that really only serve the people who have power or who have the ability, right? Mm-hmm. That said, how many of us have experienced violations, boundary crossings, and traumas in which we've needed to create smaller boundaries? And sometimes that's the first time we actually learn that language of boundaries right. from a violation, right? Mm-hmm. I can think of so many conversations with girlfriends or in therapy or 
you know, self-help books or the sort of thing, we've got, got to set a boundary. There's something rigid around it. And we need those for where we've been harmed and yes. other people need them with us where we've been harmful, right? But then that's a limited view of what could be possible because we do need to make right size those boxes or containers or relationships that aren't aren't serving us where we're not getting back, where there's not equilibrium. But in the spaces where we want to be of service or where we want to grow in a relationship with each other, then we do want to think about the expansiveness of boundaries. Most importantly, either way, is that we can communicate about it clearly. Because either way, if we don't communicate clearly about our availability, what we have to offer, and and the limits of it, then we either on one hand risk the boundaries being crossed again and harm happening, or we risk not being able to give all that we could in a situation when someone needed something. And that's not what I would want if I needed something. So I want to be able to do that for someone else. So often leaders will say to me, they have an open door policy and they'll say to the people who report to them, I'm here for you. My door is open anytime. And then time goes by and that becomes really difficult to manage because there's a lot of need and they have a lot of things that they need to do. And then I notice resentment. And 100%. Yeah. So that when our boundaries aren't clear, this is one of the things you've helped me really see, like when our boundaries aren't clear, other people don't, they can't read our minds. And so they're actually following our generous instruction, which is, I'm always here for you or call me anytime. But when they take us up on that, then we're like, I'm exhausted. Will you leave me alone? And we don't know how to communicate that. And then often what we end up, the conversation we end up having is not the one that we really wanted to have that we could have had in the beginning. Give me some wisdom around that. Yeah, it's such a great point. I, I think I want to say, hey, Mary, you, you called it a generous offer, but what would be generous would be communicate clearly. Uh-huh. Right? So we trick ourselves too to saying, oh, you want to know what I want to be. I want to be a generous leader. And who doesn't? Yeah, 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 yeah. So then we're going to go, I'm going to say the door is always open. But I mean, do you have work to do? Or, you know, so I think also sometimes that I would also offer that that unclear boundary of the doors always open is, well, who's coming in then? That's a certain people who have the wherewithal to do that, the time to do it. We also might be missing folks from an equity perspective. So nonetheless, if I were able to communicate more clearly, like I want to hear feedback from you. Can we schedule 15 minutes every other week for feedback or I have office hours from three to five on Wednesday. I'll be sitting here with, you know, hot tea on, please come by or, you know, complaints during this time, compliments during this time. I want to see more of a pathway towards what kind of engagement I'm looking for and when. And if we're wanting the feedback portion, we need to routinize getting feedback because we too often wait for that for one time a year or when there's a problem, right? And then what we do want to solve for, though, is if we're going to narrow a, hey, my door's always open policy is understanding when people reach out and for what. Because for an emergency, and let's define what an emergency is, how do people get help? And is it really from you every time and all the time? Because aside from probably parenting a newborn, 
we that's that's really not a true thing either. So we want to have that broad availability, but clear what those pathways are for emergencies. And then for other types of conversations or engagements, you know, have a more specified window or box. I've done it myself. Oh, and the final thing I'll say, oh my gosh, resentment is such a friend. Mm-hmm. Because resentment tells us what's up. And at least for me, Mary, I don't know about you, but when I feel resentful, and I am so sure it's the other person's problem. So many times I really sort out that it was a way in which I was unclear. It's an opportunity for me to learn. And there are people who repeatedly cross boundaries. I don't want to ignore that. Mm-hmm. But more often for me, the problem has been my lack of clarity or that I need to redefine a boundary or a container that I created that used to work that really no longer works for me. There's a lot of ego in this as well right? I'm just going to name that because, you know, one of the things I've learned over the years is you want to be seen as the generous, approachable, available, competent, strong, you know, leader or friend or whatever it is. And then this overextension and lack of clarity about what's really, what you really have the capacity for, and that shifts over time leads to that resentment. And I love that you just said resentment is a friend because like you, that is what happens for me. If I haven't been clear with my boundaries and haven't set these clear containers, I'm going to get you to talk about that in a sec, then I start to feel really pissed off. And once I start feeling like, oh, I'm being taken advantage of, it's like, hey, Mary, what have you, what are you not clear about here? This got messy because there isn't clarity. And um, it's a, that's really, really interesting. But um, Shannon, you talk a lot about containers. Do you want to mm-hmm. tell us, introduce us to this idea of containers? Because I love the way you, you talk about some of the other ways we use containers in our life and how that really helps us understand how we can use that like in this metaphorical way. Yeah, sure. You know, I realize the limitations of the word boundaries, and often we think about it, it's a line in a sand that can't be crossed, and there's something rigid about it. And I wanted to be able to, for us to think about and talk about and negotiate around different ways we can shape our engagements or boundaries. And so I came up with the concept of containers, because for, I I use the metaphor for food containers, we don't have a lot of negotiation around what kind of food container we're using. So for example, if you come to dinner at my house, I have everyday plates. If I'm sending you home with leftover lasagna, I have some recycled cottage cheese containers. And of course, if it is your birthday, I'm going to get rainbow and unicorn plates, right? (laughs) And we don't have a lot of, or, you know, for going to work, I have a, like my special leak proof lid, lock it down. Cause I've learned about that like, here's the joke, leaky container uh-huh. leaking into my backpack. Right. So, and nobody's going to be like, Oh, look, she brought her lockdown lid one, or, you know, we, we just, Oh, there's different containers for different food situations. And I want us to have that kind of non-judgment and flexibility around the way we each can create the containers or relationships for how we show up and understand that we want to be thoughtful and match them to the situation too. So you know, it would be weird if we were always having rainbow and unicorn plates. They would not be special anymore. And I'm, so then let's take the metaphor to that. It's like, okay, in an acute crisis, I am the first to show up on the side of the road and there's been a car accident. Do you want to know how I can show up for that? 
nothing else matters. Mm -hmm. I am all in. I'm on the ground, been there holding people. Now, am I doing that 24 hours a day, seven days a week? If that's the request, no, because it's a different situation and I craft a different situation for, or container for that. And obviously even go back to the car accident on the side of the road. I'm also not, oh, I'm a paramedic here or providing medical first aid, right? There's still limits to the container of what I'm doing there. But sure. the point being, I have so much presence and nothing else is mattering because of, that's the situation. And so we want to be able to create that ability to have flexible and different containers and then uh, to be responsible as leaders or caring humans that we're clear about what they are and if we need to change them in time. There's many times in relationships, especially we go in a relationship where we've shown up large for someone and it needs to shift the next time there's a crisis. I need to communicate with that person. Why? I know it was like this before. Here's what's shifted for me. Here's my capacity now. What's the most I could do for you with that understanding? This is really helpful because so often, I don't know about you, Shannon, but so often I will say yes when I really should say no. And, mm -hmm. or I'll say yes to something. Yes, I'm available. And then the situation that the person is in or the whatever it is, it goes on longer than I ever would have thought at the beginning because that's how life works, right? And so mm. here we are now we're six months down the track and I'm still living off a big yes and I actually want to turn mm. it into a no. And a lot of us get tricked into thinking that we can't change boundaries. Like we've set them mm. up and then it gets really tricky. Like how do I then go back? Oh, I said yes. How can I say no? Boundaries are ever-changing and flexible, mm -hmm. and we can renegotiate yes, them, right? Circumstances change. Yes, circumstances change all the time. And I think when we th we tell ourselves, oh, we can't change this, this is a narrative that is just not true because it will change, and it's likely to implode or explode. So as a leader or a thoughtful, compassionate human who wants to engage in an authentic way, then we need to foresee that notice it, the resentment or, hey, the shifting container, where am I uncomfortable? Because our body is giving us clues all the time. So we're noticing if we learn to notice and then saying, gosh, I need to say something. Because if I don't, there's going to be an implosion of things or an explosion of things. And the generous thing to do now would be to communicate about that and manage it. Can I refer out? Can I help this person get connected elsewhere? And Sometimes when I work to renegotiate or discuss those new containers, folks have just been, hey, thanks for sharing. I, I can chat with so-and-so about this. It may not be the large hang up that I've had. And then for people who are thriving on blurry boundaries or may have some other, you know, mental health considerations around how they engage, we need to, may need, and this is often in a work setting or family relationships, we may need to have a thoughtful approach and it sometimes can behoove us to get some therapy to sort that out, to really think through like, what is the kind and generous way for me to communicate about this? Because the way things are going is, is not going to be long-term sustainable for me. And I don't want to be a part of a implosion or an explosion. Yeah, yeah. You said something else there that had me thinking about the other important 
ideas that you've helped me with, which are around the narratives that we carry. So, you know, Mm -hmm. a, a minute ago you were talking about that's a story that we might kind of be telling ourselves. And you've got a term for these stories that develop, that we hold on to long past their due by date, you know, their expiry date, these sticky stories. And I've got mm. stories that I carry that are really like the Velcro, right? I've got to rip them off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I notice them and learn and learning how to do that. Can you help us understand the sticky story idea? I think it's super Yeah, I important. came up with this, this concept and, and, and to help listeners think about like, well, what's a sticky story? You know, it's the one that you almost feel embarrassed to tell your BFF or your therapist one more time because you're like, man, I really cannot even stand to hear this story coming out of my mouth again. And so I experience it for some other folks when I'm observing it, it's like they're in a cul-de-sac just going around and around, but just can't quite get off. And you're like, park the car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something. Yeah. Really. So what happens and how I think about it? Well, first of all, when I would first recognize this about myself, I feel a lot of shame. Like, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing that I've told, said that 39 bajillion times. And and then I would want to just get myself away from that story so quickly. Oh my gosh, that was never me. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's not true. What was really true is that that story worked for me for a long time. And some of these stories, and I don't mean to belittle it like it's not true, but of course we craft narratives for ourselves to go through the world with our traumas and our skills and our ambitions and our hopes and all these things. So we've kept crafted a narrative. And we can work on crafting and shifting those narratives at any time. But the point is that it's a narrative that no longer serves us. I can see these at threshold moments too. So an example for me, it'll be, you know, kids leaving home. And I was a single parent for a long time. So I have such a narrative around being a single parent. And it was oh so true. And now kids are gone. And I think to introduce myself, do I even mention that I have kids except being a parent is a huge part of my identity. So I'm still working on figuring out what that new story is, but I could tell when that, that sticky story would start to come out. Cause like, it doesn't have meaning for the person that is hearing it now in the new situation. Some of my sticky stories are far less attractive than that one that I just shared, of course, too. And we all have them. So the point is to understand, Hey, here's a story. It's sticky. I'm observing it. I can almost picture these stories coming out on my shoulder and I'm like petting my shoulder right now, like a little <laughs> pet that comes along when I go, when I get fearful or it's yeah. really uncomfortable, right? It, they pop up like it's a little security blanket, stuffed animal pet, you know, just tending to that story. And if I notice that, and then I can notice what's uncomfortable for that story about me, for me now, like for the, the, the kids leaving home, it's like, well, what's uncomfortable is I, I don't have kids in my house. So like, like, do I have something else to talk about myself with? <laughs> right? But can we notice, well, what's uncomfortable for me now? And I've got an activity in the book and the worksheets are free to download on the website. But, you know, writing down what's that story? Why do I notice it's uncomfortable? And then how is it that I also am honoring, like that served me for a long time. I don't really need to have a lot of shame around that. It's just that where I am now, where I want to go, it does not serve me. And so then the third piece of the activity can be what's the new narrative or new story that I'm writing. Oftentimes I don't completely have that part sorted because there's a phase that comes for me between the noticing, the figuring out what's uncomfortable and then figuring out how am I going to evolve and reshape this narrative to the next place? 
but it's helpful for me to do a ritual around naming that, writing it. If you print the worksheet out, you can actually tear off those top two pieces and burn it or throw it away or some such thing. I think very respectfully because I want to tell that story. Look how you got me through all those years functioning with the best that I knew at the time. And now I know other things and I can feel other things and I'm going to write a new story. And often those stories, even if we don't say them out loud all that often, we say them to ourselves and they craft mm. the decisions that we make, uh, right? And often they're, they're really limiting. A sticky story is always a limiting story. It's no, I would say no longer serving. No would longer be better. serving. Yeah. That would be for me. But like when you talk about those internal ones, at least for myself or the ones other folks would, you know, in such a trusting way share with me, they're, they are quite negative stories that we tell about ourselves that do limit our capacity to show up for others or to lead. Because we want to unpack like, why is that? Oh, I'm just a so-and-so. What is that thing? That little thing that runs when we think about, What's it going to like to speak up when something's not right or to volunteer for a role that feels like a stretch for us or to say, hey, the way we're doing things at work really doesn't work for the people that we serve. But what's that story that, that comes up that keeps us from doing that? I can just, often yeah. be a sticky story. You know, just as you're speaking, I'm thinking of all the times that I hear women tell a story about themselves, which is, I attract a certain type of person, mm. you know, and it just creates a really limiting story about ourselves. But also there's a hint of like magic in that as well, that is so false, that we can go out into the world attracting these people who are going to like I, I heard someone say recently, I really attract people who don't respect boundaries. And it's like, uh, is that really true? Is that? And how's that story going to serve you? Yeah. What's next? Because my guess would be someone who has that now has a lot of skill in identifying core boundaries. And so what I'm also connecting from that is the fact that they can say that they're recognizing there's a story. Then it's like, oh, do you like that story? How's that? How's that fitting? Because they're it feels like there's a little bit of something that's like a little uncomfortable with it. Like, I don't want this going forward. Exactly. And there's that person who lived that story for a long time has a, a knowledge set here, a skill set that they can put to use in crafting a new story. Yeah, exactly. And I can remember saying, how did you get so good at recognizing these people? Right? Exactly. Yeah. So good. Yeah. How'd you get Expert. so good at it? Expert. Like, show me, mm -hmm. tell me how. Because you got a filter that you're picking it up. I want to learn how to do that. So you know, good. Yeah. You know what? I, I am so excited, Shannon, that you are getting on the plane and coming out to spend time with us. I am remembering, you know, the last time you came. Every time we get together on Zoom or in person or messaging each other or whatever it is, we're, whatever way we're communicating, we're always creating something, some like magic you and I. And I just know we're going to we're going to do that again. And I was remembering last night just before I fell asleep that when you came out to Melbourne uh to be with us at the first conference, we we did that we did that thing where we we wandered around the city in the dark pinning up 
yes. <laughs> these wooden love notes <laughs> in dark alleys, you know, so that people would oh, find yeah. them. And they said things like, you know, you are enough. And, and that mm. is a whole other part of your life that I think really influences that you are the creator of love notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yes. people can, okay. people can check that out as well, but you have invested so much of your energy and love and time into creating these. Do you want to just say a little bit about what love notes are? I just, I want people to know because I had so much fun with you feeling like a naughty teenager. Do you know what I mean? Feeling like a graffiti it's, it's, artist. It's totally your alley, right? <laughs> Sorry? Isn't that? Isn't it called Hozier Alley? Yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, yeah, in Melbourne. Oh, I love that alley. So Love Notes is just such a fun project of uh, experiment, a public art experiment I've been doing for 13 or 14 years, which is where I, I paint and hang Love Notes in public spaces without permission. And it, it's a way in which I want to, you know, reclaim pub, public space and and provide messages of positivity or thinking about things differently for people that would catch them by surprise. I, I'm so interested in where those there those breaks or those those gaps in attention, and where we can have connection with each other. And so this is an experiment for me doing that. We also there's paper love notes you can write and share with each other because I'm so interested in how we can document, verbalize, but in this case, you know, write down our feelings for each other before it's too late. And we did that at the first conference too, Mary. We had in the lobby the love note display, which was so, so special. Beautiful. And sometimes I will go out to my letterbox and there'll be a little love note from you and it always thrills me. So thank you. Yeah, I love writing writing notes. (laughs) I'm, I'm so, I can't wait for the conference. You know, my relationship with you, Mary, is so extraordinary. It's like Margaret Mead has this concept of uh, evolutionary cluster. And she says, before these great changes, if you look back historically, you can see small groups of people that gathered in these evolutionary clusters to think about, share ideas and exchange new ways of being. And you are an example of that in my life where I feel such a deep respect and trust in the relationship to try on new ways of being and explore new ideas. And I, it's fascinating to me. There's, I think there's something about that we're in different time zones and different places that adds to, if you will, like an, an alchemy or a magic around it. But what I, I want to reflect back to you, Mary, is that you know, I, I remember now when I met you, you had the initial concept of a compassion revolution. And that's why people said I would meet, I should meet you, but you really hadn't figured out exactly what it was. And I, I want to reflect back that what I've seen you do is bring a depth to this concept of compassion that has deep, deep roots that is uncommon but people might think there's a softness to this or that uh, a revolution is some signs or a website and you've brought a rootedness and then you've been devoted to it over these years. And every year I've seen it evolve to a new level. And I know that I only know a tiny portion of what is to come, 
But what I see you doing for this year is really beyond imagination of what I've seen happen in a, for an in-person event with this type of focus. And you're bringing a whole new level of invitation and content for the folks that are attending. That's really inspiring. Oh, thank you so much, Shannon. I deeply, deeply appreciate those words. And I think that's probably the perfect place for us to wrap up. I will see you in Melbourne on the 24th and 25th of October, and we're just going to have the best time. So all my love and see you then. Thanks, Mary. Oh, what an incredible opportunity to spend some time with Shannon Weber. I always love to be in conversation with that incredible human. And today was no different. Just that, that idea that I'm going to take away with me around how resentment can be a friend to us and these sticky stories that can really limit, can be so limiting and are no longer maybe serving us. Maybe that's a better way of putting it that no longer serve us into the future. Just incredible. I can't wait to see her in Melbourne at Making Work Beautiful. And thank you for spending time with me and Shannon. So may you be well, may you be happy, and may you have the clearest and most beautiful spacious boundaries.
I want to hear feedback from you. Can we schedule 15 minutes every other week for feedback? Or I have office hours from three to five on Wednesday. I'll be sitting here with, you know, hot tea on, please come by. Or, you know, complaints during this time, compliments during this time. I want to see more of a pathway towards what kind of engagement I'm looking for and when. And if we're wanting the feedback portion, we need to routinize getting feedback because we too often wait for that for one time a year or when there's a problem. Boundaries are ever-changing and flexible, mm -hmm. and we can renegotiate yes, them, right? Circumstances change. Yes, circumstances change all the time. And I think when we th we tell ourselves, oh, we can't change this, this is a narrative that is just not true because it will change, and it's likely to implode or explode. So as a leader or a thoughtful, compassionate human who wants to engage in an authentic way, then we need to foresee that notice it, the resentment, or hey, the shifting container, where am I uncomfortable? Because our body is giving us clues all the time. So we're noticing, if we learn to notice, and then saying, gosh, I need to say something. Because if I don't, there's gonna be an implosion of things or an explosion of things.